live and underway here on ESPN Plus alongside my good friend Hercules Gomez. I am Sebastian Salazar. Herc, as always, good to be with you. We have a ton to get to on today's rundown. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. What do we got? All right, so we got uh, Jake Edwards, president of the USL. He's going to join us a little bit later on. Of course, their season kicking off this weekend. You can catch it on ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. We have a banner, Herc. I mean, banner midweek for Major League Soccer teams in the CONCACAF Champions League. Plus, we got a winner uh, in last week's U.S. Soccer Federation presidential election. But let's start the show with our continuing coverage, Herc, of the violence that rocked Mexican soccer uh, last Saturday in the match between Querétaro and Atlas. Of course, there was an emergency meeting of Liga Mekis owners on Tuesday where they handed down further sanctions. Remember, uh, Miquel Arriola, the president of Liga Mekis, had already told us that Barras were not going to be allowed to travel uh, indefinitely. Now, Barras, of course, the supporters groups uh, that were the center of all this. First off, uh, the Barra for Querétaro is going to be banned for three years. The Barra for Atlas is going to be banned for six months. The Querétaro ownership group, they're going to lose the team, they're going to get fined, and they're going to be banned for five years for Mexican soccer. As for the team itself, Gallos Blancos, for one year they're going to play their home games with no fans. And of course, they're going to have to forfeit that match against Atlas where the violence occurred. That's going to go in the books as a 3-0 defeat. Anyone found to be involved directly in the violence is going to get a lifetime ban from Mexican stadiums. And local authorities have just released the fact that 17 people have been arrested uh, for what happened Saturday at La Corregidora in Querétaro. Uh, for more on this, uh, let's bring us back on camera with Hercules Gomez. Now, uh, let's tell the good folks what we had planned for today. We were expecting to have an interview with Liga Mekis president Miquel Arriola. Unfortunately, due to some uh, timing and technical difficulties, we're not going to be able to bring you that today. However, we will continue to effort that interview, and it is my understanding that we will at some point get Miquel Arriola on this show in English to answer the many questions, Herc, that you and I had. And, and here's the proof. Um, of the many questions that we had uh, ready for him today. Uh, instead, let's take some time to react to the punishments that were handed down on Tuesday. Herco, what would you make of them? Uh, pathetic, weak, slap in the face. Um, Nos quieren ver la cara. That would mm. be my immediate reaction. It's a saying that many Mexicans say, like, they, they take you for a fool, Right. Uh, you can see in there, the team goes back to its previous owner. That would be Cholos Quinkles de Tijuana, the Grupo Hank. Um, and why? Because they had still not paid the team off. They would still not purchased the team in full. Five-year ban for the current ownership. Ban. Greg Taylor happens to be one of the current owners of Querétaro. Greg Taylor is an American businessman who also happens to be an agent in Liga Mekis, uh, non-licensed FIFA agent who handles a lot of high-profile players and high-profile coaches like Miguel Herrera. Uh, so will he be banned from any type of Liga Mekis uh, affiliation or, or a business doing there? Uh, the fact that it's visiting Barras, uh, I'm sorry, Groups of animation, because he wouldn't hmm. even go as far as to call them barras, is sickening. Just to eliminate all barras together, all together, uh, it confirms what many feel. These barras have taken a chokehold of Liga Mekis. Hmm. These barras have held hostage Mexican football. They overpowered the people who are supposed to run these teams. They can themselves not even eliminate these barras. Uh, it's, it's sickening. Yeah. 
So I think it's weak, and I said this on ESPN FC on, on a couple really important fronts, right? We talked about this on Monday, and we said that this could never happen again in Mexican soccer. If it does, you know, who knows what the future of Mexican soccer might be? If we ever see anything even close to that. And so you want to see a punishment that, that fits the crime, that fits the severity of what happened. And it's harsh, right? You know that there are some good people who love Querétaro and you don't want to see them lose their team. But what happened was so extreme that a team going away was probably worth it. It was probably the correct decision there to get rid of a team. And to allow the team to not even miss a season, Herc, right? Play out the rest of this season, maybe get into the playoffs, maybe go on a run as if nothing happened to me. It's just totally tone deaf and doesn't really, if you're looking for a deterrent, it certainly doesn't accomplish that. I'm totally with you on the element of the Barras. I have to say, I was shocked, Herc, absolutely shocked that Al Barras weren't banned. I just cannot believe that that easy solution right now was not put on the table and not very seriously considered and at the end of the day the choice that was taken. And I say that for this one very simple reason. It's what you talked about on the show on Monday. You said that the violence you saw in that stadium reminded you of organized crime. And there are legitimate conversations happening right now in Mexico about the idea that organized crime may have infiltrated these supporters groups and that's why we're seeing this violence. So unless the people who are in charge can answer those questions say for sure we don't have organized crime in these supporters groups which I don't think they can tell us that in a week I don't know how they're going to be able to go forward putting these games on with Barras in the stadium and Herc to the point that we talked about on Monday show how is anyone going to feel safe going to a stadium with these Barras still in it with that question looming over us I, I, don't, I don't think you can especially after the weak response from Liga Amekis and its ownerships mm. uh, if, if you're going to seriously try to tell us that the 18 owners couldn't come to an agreement to eliminate the Barras, but then you have a club like Chivas who says, mm. we're done. We're done with the Barras. You have, own, you have the ownership groups, single ownership groups taking control of what should be a league decision. It just shows me that the leadership in Liga Mekis is either incompetent or afraid. Mm. Either way, you can't feel safe if they can't guarantee your safety. If they can't Roll out a proper protocol. If they can't roll out what is no more barras, how are you as a spectator going to feel safe? Because if you look at what's coming up, Atlas is coming up. Atlas mm. has another game. Atlas is a very, very large barra. Atlas has one of the best supporting groups, and I'm not going to call them barra or uh, grupos de animacion. I'm not going to call them barra. I'm the fans, fan bases, and all of Liga MX. If we're as naive to think that there may not be retaliation mm. for what was going on and that it's going to be status quo, nothing happens, business as usual, and everything will be fine. I, I don't know if there's anybody on the Mexican side in the punditry, uh, the fans, that would seriously put their good name and say, I guarantee nothing will happen. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's a scary thought, especially with you mentioned some of the big names coming, and we've mentioned it as well, the U.S.-Mexico game, which as of today is just 14 days away to be played at the Azteca. Why don't we take a look at Jornada 10, which of course we learned on Tuesday, Herc, they're going to go ahead and play these games just one week later. And boy, I'll tell you what, there's some really big games on the schedule uh, this week. Of course, the first game, uh, we should note, 
It's Querétaro. They're going to visit Necaxa on Friday. That game is going to be played uh, with no fans. We got a couple Clásicos, though, on Saturday night. Cruz Azul Pumas, that's a Mexico City Derby. We got Chivas América, of course. Uh, the Clásico Nacional Santos and Cholos is going to wrap things up on Sunday. Uh, Chivas América, the Clásico Nacional, it's going to be a Clásico sin colores, right? Uh, as you mentioned, América's Barras banned from traveling, and Chivas have taken the decision uh, to not allow their Barras in in an organized fashion, Herc. Uh, what do you think this means for the Clásico Nacional? And as you pointed out, are we now seeing the clubs take over the leadership of the league when the league couldn't um, or wouldn't ban the Barras entirely? Let me commend Amaury Vergara for doing what his father mm. tried to do many years ago. In 2014, he proposed no more Barras en el fútbol mexicano. That proposal was shot down 17 to 1. 17 to 1, mm. Seb. The man was a visionary, may he rest in peace. He wanted the game to be family-oriented like it once was. He saw where this was going. A Clásico Sin Colores, I am here for. Wear white in what is, I guess, if anything, remembrance for, for that just tragic event so it never happens again. It's a high-profile game. Mm. These two games are Juegos de Alto Riesgo. They're, they're high-risk games for a reason. Now, I'm more worried about that Pumas Cruz Azul. Two teams... In the same city, two mm. teams that uh, over the years have given us some very good games, uh, but also two barras that have been known um, for, quite frankly, not some good reasons. So I'm very interested in seeing how that unfolds, but I commend the ownership group. And I said it already, and you're right, it takes these individual owners to take the onus on themselves and act for the better good of the people to actually get something done. Uh, one of the things we've learned in the past couple years is that fans do have a voice, right? And fans do have a say. When they really decide they don't like something, they can have an impact on how kind of leadership sees something. We're seeing a very negative response to this punishment uh, in Mexico, both from our colleagues in the press, but also from fans, Herc, I'm sure you've seen this online. Some fans kind of threatening to bring back the homophobic chant as almost like a to weaponize it against the leadership of Mexican soccer because they don't like this. Um, do you think that there's a potential where the fans could have such a voice here that the leadership in Liga Mekis would eventually have to succumb and say, okay, we are going to ban the Barras? Or do you think we're going to see Barras in Mexican football forever? I think we're going to see Barras for a, a long time to come. And, and, mm. and you're right. What these fans, pseudo fans, want to do is weaponize the homophobic chant in some sort of twisted way. We'll show you. Um, so FIFA cracks down on what is the Mexican Federation, uh, whether that be fines, sanctions, or possibly having Mexico miss out on a World Cup or mm. deduction of points. Whatever the case may be, they seem to want to weaponize this homophobic chant. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's idiotic what they're trying to do. Uh, two wrongs won't make a right. You're not going to show them. And John de Luisa's response of see where that gets us, it's mm. almost in a way challenging these people, which is a terrible thing to do. Because if you've not learned from just history in general, you can't challenge them that way. They're going to do it. Yeah. They're going to do it. And what you're going to do is you're going to make a fool out of Liga Mekis, out of the Mexican Federation, and out of a whole culture because there are many good people who think this is idiotic. I said it on ESPN FC, there's a lot of tension right now between the people who run the game in Mexico and the people who support the game. Hopefully that tension doesn't boil over uh, in the coming weeks. As we mentioned before, uh, March 24th, huge game, USA and Mexico 
at the Azteca. Why don't we take a look at U.S. Soccer Federation's statement that they released um, on the matter. Of course, uh, the Querétaro incident happening on Saturday. This from uh, from U.S. Soccer, the Federation claiming that it has spoken with Mexican Football Federation officials and that they are assuring uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation that the United States uh, and Mexico fans, teams, and players will have a safe experience March 24th at the Azteca. Uh, we certainly, certainly hope uh, that is the case for all involved. All right, Herka, let's transition to some more sad news from the world of soccer and specifically from the world of Mexican soccer. Tomas Boy, a legendary uh, and iconic figure in Mexican football, passed away on Tuesday at the age of 70. He was a massive player for Tigres in the 70s and 80s. He captained Mexico at the World Cup in 1986. And for us, Herc, he was also a colleague on ESPN Deportes. I know you, in fact, got to work with him quite a bit, right? Yeah, I got to work with him quite a bit. First time, the 2018 World Cup in, mm. in Russia. Listen, Tomas Boy was a bigger-than-life personality. They called mm. him El Jefe for the reason, the boss. Uh, whether you liked him or not, you respected him. You recognized his talents as a player. Uh, listening to my father talk about how elegant of a player he was, uh, his ability to strike a ball, his set pieces, the goals that he would score, the leadership uh, qualities that he showed, not only at Tigres, but you mentioned at the 1986 World Cup. And as a coach, the boisterous dancing on the sidelines, mocking rivals, mocking opponents, getting in fights with players like Andres Pierre Gignac, telling Andres Pierre Gignac, I'm still number one, talking about he's the best all-time player in Tigres history, to his polemic fights on air and football picante with just about everybody. Anybody who was in a room with Tomas Boy really knew that he was the biggest personality in the mm. room. You yeah. sat there, you listened to him, whether you liked him or not, he was that kind of bigger-than-life personality. Uh, my condolences to his family, his friends, and, and all those who, who were affected by his tragic passing. Uh, he was honestly just one of those huge personalities. Tomas Boy, a legend, spent most of the last 50 years as a player, manager, or pundit. Passed away on Tuesday at the age of 70. May he rest in peace. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, time for a CONCACAF Champions League edition of Good, Bad, and Ugly, Herc. We'll start with the good, the performance of MLS teams in the first leg. We got wins from New England, New York City, Seattle. We'll start with uh, Seattle, who beat Leon 3-0 at Lumen Field on Tuesday. A couple goals from Freddy Montero, one in the 31st, one in the uh, 39th, and then Jordan Morris in the 90th. New York City beat Comunicaciones of Guatemala 3-1. That game played in Connecticut. Tati Castellanos, Maxi Morales. And Santiago Rodriguez, your goal scores. Then New England in the snow, smashing Pumas by a final score of 3-0 in Foxborough. 
Goal from Sebastian Lejet and a couple from Adam Buxa as the Revs run roughshod. All right, Herc, it was a pretty good midweek for old MLS teams, but who impressed you the most? You gonna cry when I say it? <laughs> no, because I'm not surprised when you turn this into a, another edition of Sounders TV. I mean, are you seriously gonna tell me it's not the Seattle Sounders? This game could have easily been 6-0, if not 7-0. If not for Rodolfo Cota, the Leon FC goalkeeper who stood on his head, he was ridiculous, but the Sounders created chances everywhere. And not only did they create chances, they did it against one of the better teams in Liga Mekis. One of the best teams, I would say, in the last three years, one of the most consistent teams. And they did it without Nicolas Lodero and Raul Ruiz Diaz. They got two goals from Freddy Montero. Freddy Montero's as old as I am. My man's still racking them in. How is that not the most impressive thing you've seen? The Seattle Sounders who are struggling in Major League Soccer. Two losses to open up Major League Soccer without their best goal scorer, Raul Ruiz Diaz. Just put a can of whooping on one of the better teams in Liga MX. Listen, I don't know how that's not the most impressive thing yeah. you've seen. And you could call it what you want, Sounders TV, but that's just the plain truth. Yes, yes, very impressive. Everybody's, I think, wins were impressive. New York City FC basically one away. I mean, we'll talk about that later. But they also had a little bit of a hiccup uh, getting to score on the hour mark. And then they responded with two goals in 10 or 15 minutes. So that was pretty impressive. New England, I think they ended that series. That's why I think what they did is pretty impressive. I don't see Pumas coming back. Yes or no on, on Seattle Leon. Is it over or do you still think Leon has a chance? It's not over. I think, ah. think Leon's very capable of making it in, in, very interesting. All right. Honestly, I don't think there's anybody who's going to count out Leon, especially okay. given the Sounders' history in Mexico. All I right. should know. So we didn't go all the way there on, uh, on Sounders TV. All right, let's get to the bad then, the other side of the coin, which is obviously uh, the Liga Mekis performances in the first leg. They got outscored 6-1 to one by MLS teams on Tuesday and Wednesday combined. Cruz Azul was the only team to win, Herc, but even them, it wasn't impressive. They won just 1-0 against Montreal at the Estadio Azteca, the only goal coming from Uriel Antuna in the 20th minute. Leon, who were fifth in the table, you just saw it. They lost 3-0 to Seattle. Pumas, eighth in the table. They lost 3-0 to New England. Uh, we got second legs coming next week. Herc, of the Mexican teams, uh, which squad do you think had the worst first leg performance? Uh, Cruz Azul was very wasteful, weren't they? Leon yeah. was horrid. They could have ate seven. But hear me out. It's Pumas. And you just said it. That series is pretty much over. Uh, when I think about Pumas, I think about the financial hardship that they've had over, I don't know, the last three years, if not more. This is a very depleted roster. When you look at the roster 1 to 25, I would argue, I would argue, not at 125, when I look at the 1, 1 to 11, the starting 11, I would argue that besides Comunicaciones, they're probably on the lower end of spending hmm. of the team still in this competition. Uh, and I'd also argue that they don't have enough players to play in two competitions. And mid midweek, they played against New England, got throunced. And now they got to go play against the Cruz Azul in a crucial matchup. And then play again against New England. And New England, with that offensive firepower, if they score one, Pumas have to score five. I don't see where they can go from here. I, I, they can win, sure. But you're trying to tell me that Buxa, Gustavo Bo, Carles Gil, Sebastian Legett, and then Josie Altador can't score one? I, I think this series is over as well, Seb. Yeah, I'm with you. That's a bad one. I think Cruz Azul, though, needs to be analyzed a little bit because they really, as you said, were extremely wasteful in this game. They had 19 shots, Herc. 19. Two of them on goal. They only win one nothing, and now they're going back. They're not going back to Stad Saputo, huh? They're going back to Olympic Stadium and 
Montreal plus Olympic Stadium plus CONCACAF Champions League, always a recipe for a special night. So um, Cruz Azul may not have had the worst performance. They might end up really regretting those missed chances, though, uh, at the Azteca Happened against Santos Montreal. as well that way. All right, uh, what about this? The ugly, and I think this one's pretty obvious. It's the attendance. Uh, in a couple places specifically, one in Connecticut, where New York City did draw a large crowd. We should give them credit. The only problem, it was mostly Comunicaciones fans. Uh, and then at Gillette Stadium, where the Revs beat, the, uh, beat Pumas in front of a sparse crowd, and as we mentioned before, uh, in the snow. Herc, any thoughts on the, the poor attendance? Oh, come on, uh, At Seth. least from MLS fans Get, get my good friends in New England Revolution a, a break here. It was snowing, man. Midweek snow. You know what, I'm not worried. I know people are worried about this with, with New England. I think a new stadium fixes all this. I think they've got a very good team. A new stadium fixes all this. I'm not worried. I'm a little bit worried about not New York City FC. I'm a little bit worried about Major League Soccer and the inability, to, inability excuse me, to reach certain sectors, certain fan sectors. Uh, these people that came to this stadium, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm watching this game, and I'm thinking to myself, why are there football lines on Comunicaciones' home field? <laughs> I, I, I'm, this is not a joke. And then I realized it's Hartford, Connecticut. I realized this was the neutral site. I realized leg one was played here in the States. Why can't Major League Soccer reach these fans? Hmm. Because I'm sure these fans have different teams that they root for, whether that be a Spanish team, a Premier League team, a Mexican, whatever they want. Why can't they root for Major League Soccer teams? Why is this consumer, this huge consumer, this Latino consumer that they keep trying to vie for, that they keep try, trying to do everything? I mean, they, they hire consulting firms it seems like every single week to find out what they can do. Why can't they reach this sector? These fans came out midweek in the freezing cold to support their team, a team they cheer for, a team they wanted to see. Why can't they come out to the New York City FC games? Why can't they come out to the Red Bull games? Why can't they come out to, to the, the New England Revolution games? How come you can't reach these people? That's why, for me, this is poor. You're talking about marketing. I think CONCACAF probably, as far as attendance goes, could, could market this competition a little bit better. I don't think it gets quite the shine that, that it should. Uh, I think the other point here is, you know, we have a lot of friends because ESPN is based out of the Connecticut area. A lot of them had an interest in going to the game. I heard the tickets for this, Herc, really, really expensive. That's not going to help you midweek, mm. and that's not going to help you in the cold uh, mm. if the ticket is expensive. You're making it really, really hard for people to get into a I tournament that could be really great. All right, so that's CONCACAF Champions League. That's the bad attendance news. What about the good attendance news? Because there was some of that last weekend with Charlotte FC, who set a new MLS attendance record in their home opener Saturday against the LA Galaxy. 74,479 is the new number, Herc. It tops the 2018 MLS Cup between Atlanta and Portland. That was the previous high. Charlotte ends up losing the game 1-0 on a uh, late game winner from Efrain Alvarez. And... Uh, the LA Galaxy pick up the three points. Uh, this was a huge deal. Everybody around uh, MLS and really American soccer talking about this in the aftermath. Is it something, Herc, nothing or everything, though? This is everything. I, I, don't, I don't care what type of game it is. I don't care how bad Charlotte is. I don't care if it's a friend. 74,000 plus anywhere in the world is a huge number. I think that's the second most attended game in the world this year. That's just a massive number. Now, it's what you do with it that makes mm -hmm. it everything. Okay, that's what it is. Do we expect Charlotte to sell out every single game like that? No, we don't. But if they can convert themselves to be a Portland, a Seattle, an Atlanta, something like that, that is a huge victory, a huge success story for what is Major League Soccer. Now, 
about that on-field, or should I say off-field with, with Charlotte. That's what worries me because me as a consumer, Seth, I want to see a good product. Now, yep. if I'm hearing all these different things, estamos jodidos, we are screwed. If I'm seeing the product, we can't even score a goal. How long do I last as a fan until I say, you know what? It was fun. You know what? A few good games here and there. I took my kid, but now nah, I'm out. That's why it's not everything, Herc. Because they're not, they're not bringing the any opportunity, critical... Seb. That's what makes it everything. It's something. It's something. It's not everything. If they, if they had all elements functioning, I'd give them everything. Um, here's the reality. I'm going to be the Grinch here, right? What? Um, yeah, I'm going to be the Grinch. This is a big number for MLS. It's not the, a big number for American soccer. If you go back over the history of American soccer, you easily find 20, 30 games with higher attendance than oh, this. Oh, tell me so about the So as I always set. remind people on this show, MLS is not the apex of American soccer. It never has been, and I doubt it will be for a very long time. The other part of this, Herc, is like you say, like you say, the on the field stuff. Nick Kelly, the CEO of this team, he said this was going to be the epicenter of global soccer this weekend. Well, you know what? They won a fifth straight game, Herc. Three in the preseason, two now in the regular season without a single goal from the run of play. So for the CEO there, Nick Kelly of Charlotte mm. FC, if you want to be the epicenter of soccer, you know one thing that's kind of critical to that? Tell me. Just, just a little bit, just a little bit of actual soccer. Tell me. A little bit of soccer. Oh. You can't just sell tickets or you're gonna end up like, guess who? New York City FC and Orlando City. Remember their huge crowds early on? Are they the same now? I didn't, New York City FC had huge crowds early on? Oh yeah, big time at Yankee Stadium, oh. big time. You were still in your playing days. You weren't, you weren't as plugged in as you are now. Now you're just so, so media savvy. Elsewhere from this game, uh, Charlotte and LA Galaxy, in case you missed it, great story uh, here, a great moment. Sasha Kleschen with the Galaxy exchanging jerseys with Christopher Hegart of Charlotte FC. Back in 2010, Hegart was an eight-year-old receiving cancer treatment. Kleschen was playing for Chivas USA at the time. He visited Hegart in the hospital, gave him a jersey, so a full circle moment on Saturday. Herc, very yeah, cool. This is awesome, this is really cool. Sasha Kleschen's one of the all-time good guys of the sport. Uh, and oh, by the way, an incredible player in his time, but trust me, an even better person. Yeah, great, uh, great work there from Sasha Kleschen of uh, the LA Galaxy swapping with Chris Hegart of Charlotte FC. By the way, Herc, I don't know if you saw it, the Athletic reporting, at least one of their sources, that uh, Miguel Angel Ramirez is on the brink of quitting. Ooh, very interesting. More news here. MLS announcing Thursday it'll leverage a $25 million loan from a syndicate of black-owned banks. It marks the first time any sports league has participated in a major commercial transaction exclusively with black-owned banks. Uh, Don Garber called it, quote, a tangible step in the efforts to close the racial economic gap in the United States. Uh, big news there from the executive branch of Major League Soccer. And of course, uh, MLS on your screens this weekend. Saturday night should be a good one. Portland Timbers against Austin FC. Coverage starts 10 p.m. Eastern time. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. 
Jesse Marsh heavily criticized after his first game in charge of Leeds last weekend. The 1-0 win over Leicester City. Oh. Second game on Thursday. Not off to a great start. Coutinho with the goal in the 22nd Coutinho minute. Coutinho still plays? Yeah, he does, and he's playing well for Aston Villa. Yeah, he's Villa. playing really well. Don't stick your foot out there. Ah, oh, goalkeeper had that. Look at that. Oh, no. So Leeds then down 1-0 uh, in the early going of this one. Into the second half, Matty Cash in the 65th minute. Uh-oh, two nothing. Yeah, it's just a life. It was a lifeless performance, right? You almost question like if they want to even be out there. Oh, just flew right by him. Didn't even try. Can't dive in like that. Of course, uh, Leeds seem to have tightened the ship a little bit in that game against Leicester City, but uh, things really melting apart in the 73rd minute. Callum Chambers to make it three. Listen, Colin Chambers with an excellent finish, but just look at the amount of Leeds players standing around in the box. Just literally seven players in the box, an eighth trailing right there, all just standing. Leeds on the night outshot 15 to four. In terms of shots on goal, nine to one in favor of Aston Villa. Here's what the bottom of the Premier League table looks like then. Leeds just two points from danger, and here's the bad news, Everton, who are behind him have three games in hand. Burnley also behind him with two games in hand. Leeds goal differential hitting minus 35 after Thursday's results. Herka, we heard from our colleague Jan Agafjortov there. He didn't like the post-game huddle that Jesse Marsh employed uh, after the defeat against the Leicester City. Uh, what do you think of the post-game huddle? What's wrong with it? Are, are we By the way, same thing he's done at Salzburg, same thing he's done at Leipzig. He was doing it in the Champions League. Nobody said anything in Austria. Nobody said anything in the Bundesliga. Nobody had a problem. Yet the British press seems to have a problem. Mm. Yet again, another foreign coach, the British press has a problem with another foreign coach. Yet again, another Yank, another American coach, another reason for the British press to say, oh, I've got a problem with, look at this stupid Yank. Look what he's trying to do. Ted Lasso here, Ted Lasso there. It's getting borderline xenophobic, honestly. Mm. Like, mm. how many times, it's pathetic. This is what you're gonna criticize Jesse Marsh on. You're not gonna criticize on the way that leads defense. You're not gonna criticize on the tactics of system. You're going to go after the easy shots. Ted Lasso, American Yank coach. Look how dumb this looks. The huddle, how American of him. It, it, it's getting tiring. And honestly, I said it before, it's getting borderline xenophobic the way this keeps coming up with foreign coaches. He's uh, 0 for 2 in the Premier League. I might suggest he's 2 for 2 dealing with the English media because I think in, in both of these battles, he's at least come out looking good, right? When he says ridiculous, you, you believe him. I, I think it's good for him um, to be strong in this very specific situation. We heard from Jan Agafjortov there. I do want to give the other side of the perspective because that was on Extra Time ESPN FC. Frank LeBeouf, the 1998 World Cup winner with France, uh, he said it's good for the spirit of the team and he liked it because it sends a message to the fans. So there you go. There's a there's two sides to every story. Some people are very much cool with what Jesse Marsh did. Uh, maybe not in terms of managing the team, but at least in terms of the post-game huddle. Let's run it back with some more action from Thursday. Hurt from the Premier League. Raul Jimenez, his sixth goal of the Premier League season. It comes in a 4-0 Wolves win over Watford. And most importantly, it comes with Raul back in the starting lineup. Hurt something that Hasn't always been a guarantee of late. Yeah, last two games he was on the bench. Good little combination play. Uh, I don't want to say this is a fortunate goal, because look, he gives it, he goes, he finds space Excuse me, between four players. Now watch the finish. Little Meg right there. Boom, nice easy little finish. That's his sixth of the campaign, fourth assist. My man, only the second Mexican player to get to 40 goals in the Premier League. Yeah, very involved uh, throughout for Wolves.
in the victory as we take a look at his recent form. Good time to heat up. We have exactly two weeks until the US and Mexico face off at Azteca. And of course, a reminder, ESPN Plus is your home for La Liga. Serginho Des Barcelona in action on Sunday. Coverage starts 4 p.m. Eastern time as they square off against Osasuna. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Joining us next here on the show, he is the president of USL, Jake Edwards. Their season kicking off this weekend, and of course, you can see it all across ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. Jake, welcome back to Football America. It's great to have you. Great. Thanks for having me. Great to see you guys again, and uh, happy anniversary uh, on your first Hey, there, there it go. is. There it is. Somebody finally, uh, finally mentioned it. Okay, so let's get into all the, the good new stuff that you got going on this season. Of course, a new season, Jake, means new franchises. I'm curious about the teams that you've brought into the league, specifically Detroit City. They had a lot of success in Nice. I feel like it's a really major coup for you guys as a league to get them in. Yeah, we're thrilled to have these two new clubs join the league. Um, you know, we pride ourselves on our community-based clubs, community organizations that are hyper-relevant uh, to the places they call home. Detroit City is certainly that. Uh, great history, uh, fantastic supporters there. So we, we're thrilled to have uh, Detroit join the league, and it is really a model of what we talk about, our clubs being uh, community-based organizations. And, and so they'll, they'll join the league this year. Uh, excited to see them kick off. Uh, next weekend will be their home opener, so it'll be a great atmosphere there in Detroit. Uh, and Monterey Bay joins us as well, a new club, new market, uh, uh, you know, passionate supporters in that area, building a lovely new stadium there, and it's just a beautiful uh, part of the world. So we're looking forward to the uh, debut of these two clubs in the season. Jake, uh, it seems like USL is starting to dip their toes in the export business. Obviously, Jonathan Gomez going from Louisville City to Real Sociedad is the biggest example of this. But do you see a future where USL is landing as many exports, if not more, than Major League Soccer? Well, look, this is something we've been spending a lot of time on and investing into our academies and our player development pathways and, and um, you know, building that sort of uh, technical knowledge at the clubs. Um, you know, since 2019, we've had uh, about 75 players now from our academies signed professional contracts at their respective clubs. Um, this year alone, we've had 38 players called into the U.S. men's national team camp that have had experience playing in the USL senior leagues, which is phenomenal. And as you said, in the off-season, we've had some really big moves. Uh, some of our uh, best and brightest players going to some of the biggest clubs in some of the biggest leagues around the world. And so I think that tells you that there is real quality in the USL, that that's being uh, recognized around the world, that the profile of the league and the profile of the quality of players we have in the league and that we're developing is getting recognized. We're working hard to make sure that, uh, that the teams and leagues around the world are seeing that quality and uh, pleased how it's going so far. It's early days, but you're going to see more of this uh, moving forward. 
Jake, speaking of growth, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe this is the last year you're going to have any of the MLS2 teams uh, still around the USL. I wonder uh, how you think that'll impact uh, your league and, and kind of the competitive structure of what you guys do. Well, I think it's a real opportunity uh, for the USL and the clubs. I think it's an opportunity to uh, really accelerate the growth uh, of the USL. Uh, I think it's um, an opportunity uh, for us to... Um, bring the championship now into new markets uh, and exciting new communities uh, that we weren't uh, uh, there before. And I think really, uh, maybe most importantly, it's an opportunity for the USL and its leagues now to uh, really align uh, with the global structure of the game and really become part of the global structure of the game in a way that perhaps we weren't able to uh, in the past. So I think uh, it, is a, uh, it is a good thing for the growth of the league. The global structure. Okay, 27 teams in the championship alone this season. We have League One and League Two, global structure. So you know we have to ask, promotion, <laughs> relegation. Where do we stand, Jake? I think we've asked me this question before. I, I might be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Once or twice. I hope soon I can come on the show and break some momentum, uh, momentous news. But look, it's something that... Um, as we build out League One and we build out the size and scale and the, and the, and the level of the clubs, it is absolutely something we're doing the work on. Um, uh, for you uh, this, uh, this year on that front. But look, I think it's a point of differentiation for the USL in, in, in the domestic football landscape. And I think having every game that matters, and for those players that have played in those kind of games, they'll understand what that means. Uh, and to really push the investment in the game and drive uh, the clubs to make sure they're doing everything at the highest possible level to really uh, bring that level of intensity and competition into our structure. I think it's a very good thing. So we're doing the work on it uh, and hope we can have some, um, some answers for you uh, towards the end of this year. Interesting, Jake, to hear you use the word there, differentiator. Uh, something else that you guys are doing this year is you're launching the W League. And I know one of the things that you're very focused on is creating equity between the W League and the championship. Explain kind of what equity means uh, to you in this case and why it's so important. Well, I think what you're talking about is the, the new professional women's league that we're launching in 2023. That's called the USL Super League. Um, what's exciting about the Super League is that that absolutely can be one of the top professional women's leagues in the world. And what makes it unique with the USL is it's an organization um, probably one of the few, if not the only organizations in the world that can deliver men's professional and women's professional football. And what differentiates us is you have a league office with 100 people that work across both men's and women's football and work collaboratively hand in hand. We have an ecosystem with a load of clubs, great experience, and they're going to bring the Super League uh, into, their, into their organizations. We've built 33 uh, football-specific stadiums and more coming. Uh, for the Super League teams uh, to play inside as well. And, and underpinning all of that is the infrastructure with the W League, which kicks off this year, which is an elite pre-professional uh, league. You'll see the best and brightest collegiate players in the W League. We've got 43 clubs debuting in that league this season. And underpinning that, we've got the USL Academy and the USL uh, Girls Academy program as well. So uh, with all of that infrastructure in place, uh, the guiding principle, of course, for the USL as we go through this is to make sure we can provide um, men's and women's football on the same footing.
This past week in the U.S. soccer presidential elections took place. Sidney uh, Parlo-Cohen beat Carlos Cordero, a very tight election. I'm wondering what you made of it, Jake. Well, I, I'm... We congratulate uh, Cindy on her win. I, I, I think she's led the organization through some very turbulent times, uh, difficult moment for a leader uh, over the last few years. And so she's come through that. And now she has a runway ahead with some very exciting projects, not least the 2026 World Cup, which will be transformational for uh, the sport. And so um, really looking forward to working with Cindy and her staff uh, on some of these uh, exciting uh, projects. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, she's been a, a big supporter of the USL, and I know she's a big supporter of both the USL Super League uh, as well as the W League. So uh, congratulations uh, to Cindy. Cindy Parlo-Cohn, the new president of the U.S. Soccer Federation. Uh, she will continue for the next four years. All right, that's Jake Edwards. He's the president of USL. Thanks so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it, and we hope you have you back on a little bit later in the season. All right, before I go, just uh, let's have a look at those shirts, boys. Oh, oh yeah, thanks for the gear as well. Look at that. Look my, at that. The only president that sends us gear. Uh, you got one personalized, right, Seb? No, no, they, they could get my name on the back. Too much. <laughs> thanks, Jake. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your time. Uh, more news. Cindy Parlo-Cohn, the new president of U.S. soccer. She earned 53% of Saturday's weighted vote, defeating her predecessor, Carlos Cordero, in the process. She will now have a full four-year term running until early 2026. Herc, this is something that we have discussed much on this show. Uh, as we look ahead to those next four years for Cindy Parlo-Cohn, what do you think her biggest challenge is? Well... She got the professional players, right? She got the players' council to, to endorse her. But Carlos Cordero got the youth soccer board to endorse him mm -hmm. publicly. So there's growing tension within U.S. soccer. And how does she now bridge the gra gla excuse me, gra gap uh, of what is grassroots with the professional inside of U.S. soccer? And what is a very important term? There's a World Cup coming, 2026, and how important that was. Because Carlos Cordero stressed the importance of that, 2026, and how he was the right person for it on the business side. So now she got the players to, to buy in. How can she get grassroots, and how can she continue to grow uh, this corporate monster that is U.S. soccer? Yeah, remember, she got that settlement across the line with the women's national team, but there's an asterisk to that. That settlement doesn't kick in unless there's an equal pay CBA yeah. with the men and the women. So uh, we've kind of talked about it like that's a foregone conclusion, bro. They've been spending 30 years trying to get those two teams equal. To, to assume that in the next 30 days it's going to happen, I think is a, a big leap of faith for those around U.S. soccer. I think that's a key challenge for her. Another challenge for her that I think is super important, something we talk about a lot on this show as well, is bringing improved transparency to U.S. soccer, right? We need leadership who, when things go wrong, is willing to face the facts, come on and explain what it is that's happening. I tweeted this in the hours before the election. I could not believe that Carlos Cordero was going to try to run for president while essentially, Herc, hiding from the media. And Cindy he Parlo almost Cohn, won, Sebi. And he almost won. Cindy Parlocone hasn't come on this show. We are efforting that for next week. But she has been twice on ESPN um, in recent weeks. So we at least know that she'll do the interview. She will at least put a public face when it's needed. Something that I don't think you could have guaranteed from the guy she was running against um, in Carlos Cordero. So at least for that reason, 
I'm glad that she ended up winning and it wasn't Cordero. One more bit of news before we get out of here. Uh, we got an article on our website from Jeff Carl, very, Carlisle, very important read with the latest developments uh, on the Portland Timbers, Andy Polo domestic violence scandal. Jeff spoke with the alleged victim, Polo's former partner who claims the Timbers tried to dissuade her from pursuing charges against Polo. We will be covering that uh, in much more details in some coming editions of Football Americas, including um, on this coming Monday's show. Um, also on Monday's show, we're going to have uh, Tanner Tessman and Johan Gomez join us. They themselves, uh, a couple professional players, have a podcast called Chum Chat. So we're going to do a little um, crossover there, a little podcast um, crossover. But as it is time for our parting shot, Herc, it is now, what, 367 days since we launched this show uh, into orbit on March 8th of 2021. It has been one incredible year. Before we uh, run the best of, Herc, any thoughts on the last 365? Incredibly proud of what the production crew, of what we've been able to do, but more importantly, the reaction from the public, because this show's for them. We've asked for a show, our show. We've asked for our topics. We've asked to do it our way. And finally, we have it. I'm incredibly proud of, of the reception that we've had. And then working alongside you, Seb, I know I give you a lot, <laughs> a lot of heat, but it's it's really been one of the all-time highs that I've had here at ESPN. So very fortunate for the production crew and everybody who watches this. Yeah, it, uh, it really has been quite a bit of fun. we got a lot more work to do, including on Monday's show. We are going to keep knocking on that door and try and bring you Liga Mekis president, Mikel Arriola. But for now, enjoy the best of year one of Football Americas. But we're gonna do this. We tend to get rowdy, we tend to argue, so this is perfect for us. This is what we're made for. You wanted me to bring up Tigres. Who are you taking out then? I don't care. Take out take out Chucky. Wait, we're not talking about that. I don't know what you're talking about because you're picking and choosing when it works for you. Mira, I I say you said something, I pro I provide the tape. You say I said something, there's no tape. So Production. you're a liar. Oh, Bruce a Arena had a great what? season, but it's not nearly like we can't do this studio this show in studio. I'm gonna strangle you. Oh, show the evidence. The stupid is working. Zip I didn't it. have time to call. Shots fired. A absolutely, absolutely. That was a Comprometete no. for once in your life. It's Mexico who's gonna take it, but you gotta hear it Close from it. Julie Fowdy. I'm worried. I'm worried. Are you cool? Are you calm? Are you collected? How I've calmed down and I'm definitely cool and collected. I love me some Jorge Campos. And if, if Jorge and, uh, and Aka Sports need a model, your, your boy has some experience in City, the city that gave us my colleague, my co-host, Hercules Gomez. Do you feel the warmth of the people? I don't know if it's the warmth of the people or the desert sun, but I feel it, yeah. Wow! <laughs> you Talk about underdressed. Hey, first of all, I never, I never thought I would say this word. Herc? Thank you for having me on your show. It's a pleasure. <laughs> you are from the um, San Luis Barrio of Manchester. You're a lifelong city fan. So congratulations for all the yeah. suffering. There's three of us in a Manchester Barrio de San Luis Potosí. Thank, no, we, thank you for giving me your gloves. That's where my gloves went. Okay, now, now we get it. I get pretty annoyed when, when after games I get asked questions that have nothing to do with the game or uh, what type don't of take into it. 
Yeah, you know, if a guy's had a great season and after the after the game we're, we're going to start talking about things that happened like three and four and five years ago, I, yeah, I have a tendency to let sometimes let people know that that doesn't seem right to me. Oh, my God. Who hasn't asked this question? It's Jerdan Shashiri, correct? Yes. Okay, but, but Andy Sullivan of the U.S. Women's National Team, the NWSL champion, Washington Spirit, and yes, Julie Foudy, yes, just for you, I will mention the Stanford Cardinal. That is where she played her college. Actually, she's a current Olympic and world. This year is crazy, and um, I could be more thankful for what I achieved. There she is, Trinity Rodman. Ali, ha, are you looking forward to seeing this guy on April 9th? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I just see something there. Palita, how are you, brother? Message for Javier you know, about that. You've done a lot. What's <laughs> <laughs> that guy? My you time, know, time. It's, it's my time. It's my time. Bob, as always, we, uh, we appreciate the time. We appreciate your candor and the... Uh, the shot you got in there as well. There he is, Bob Bradley, the manager of Toronto FC. Good luck this year. There's always Twitter for you to fire away on at the end. So I don't know how you work. Christian Polisic. Christian Polisic. Christian Polisic. Christian Polisic. It's Christian Polisic. Christian Polisic. Christian Polisic. Christian Polisic. Oh, Christian Polisic. Christian Polisic jersey. Like the LeBron James of soccer. Hopefully, when other guys see me, they 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 want to do, they want to do the same. Thirty seconds. Can we change jerseys? And he was like, yeah, I mean, he was one of the, the nicest guys in the world, obviously. You can tell from all the pictures you see of him smiling all the time and everything. You know, obviously I did a gesture that, you know, when you look back, it was, you know, I'm more mature now, it's a bit immature. I mean, this is U.S.-Mexico. I don't care if it's a friendly. Fue penal o no fue penal? Robert inside goes down the best penalty. Claro penal. Si, fue penal. No, Vincent Johnson, no fue penal. Hey, can we get a picture? Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, of course. Like, yeah, no worries. On. There's only one go. Bola Américas, England announcer. What a, what a beautiful trip. Back here on Thursday with What is that, soccer ball? Why can't we be friends? Try to get 970. Why would you try to get 970? For you, did it live up to the hype? It did. It did. Good job, my man. Happy brother. Thank you, brother. Vegas again! Had a great time. I never get a cake on ESPN FC. <laughs> I like this show way more than ESPN FC. They treat me much better. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.